Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I have with me the terrific Margaret Borden, who is our lay leader this morning. We welcome each and every one of you among us. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice. As we light the chalice, may our souls become its hearth. We join our hearts to the one great flame of bright compassion, beloved community, and fervent justice. May our sparks become a wildfire in the world, lighting the way for all. Our call to worship this morning is a poem by Mary Oliver, an American poet who won the National Book Award and the Pulitzer Prize. She was described by one literary critic as an indefatigable guide to the natural world, particularly to its lesser-known aspects. Mindful by Mary Oliver Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Unitarian Universalists are a pluralistic lot. We don't have one credo, one set of beliefs we all have to sign on to. We draw from all of the world's faith and wisdom traditions. So sometimes we get asked, well then, what holds you together? What gives you direction if you don't all believe in the same thing? Well, one of the things that gives us direction, that holds us together here at our church, is our mission. It's our common purpose, and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our meditation reading this morning is by Anne Sexton, an American poet known for her highly personal confessional verse. She won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry in 1967. And this poem is entitled, Welcome, Morning. There is joy in all, in the hair I brush each morning, in the cannon towel newly washed that I rub my body with each morning, in the chapel of eggs I cook each morning, in the outcry from the kettle that heats my coffee each morning, in the spoon and the chair that cry, hello there, Anne, each morning in the godhead of the table that I set my silver plate cup upon each morning. All this is God, right here in my pea greenhouse each morning. And I mean, though I often forget, 
to give thanks, to faint down by the kitchen table in a prayer of rejoicing as the holy birds at the kitchen window peck into their marriage of seeds. So while I think of it, let me paint a thank you on my palm for this God, this laughter of the morning, lest it go unspoken. The joy that isn't shared, I've heard, dies young. Now is the time in our service when we breathe together. We breathe together. We feel the loving presence of those around us. Breathing in and out, in and out. We follow our breath to a deeper place inside. That place of greater wisdom. That source of greater joy. The spark of the divine within each of us. And breathing together, we enter into a time of meditative silence together, remembering that in this congregation, human sounds and the sounds of small children are a part of the sacred silence. Breathing in, breathing out, we now enter into that time of silence together. I used to be a cat Every day the same I'd be aloof till lunch Then coldly indifferent after To me everything was just Meh. Then it hit me 
Why be so cat? Why not be a bit more dog? I mean, look at the world today. It's amazing. Running, amazing. Chasing cars, amazing. Sticks, amazing. Carpe diem. It means grab the frisbee. Maybe we should all be a bit more dog. Be more dog. <laughs> okay, it's not my intention to inflame a cat lovers versus dog lovers war this morning by starting with that video. I love both, although I do think be more dog would make a great campaign slogan, wouldn't it? I think the be more dog metaphor is about being less aloof and allowing ourselves to experience and engage in more fun, in more joy. Though, of course, if you have ever cohabitated with a cat, you know they have their own ways of playing and playing pranks. Evil, evil pranks. (laughs) Now, as you may have heard already, here at the church... We're experimenting with helping our children and youth learn our Unitarian Universalist history and our Unitarian Universalist values to engage in spiritual development and learning through things like games, play, and other joyful activities. And this is not just limited to our children and youth activities. We'll be infusing our adult religious education programs with the same sense of humor, play, joyfulness. And in addition to their other activities, many of our church groups and ministries are also trying to add opportunities for connection, joy, and fun, such as lunching together, holding potlucks, watching video and films together, and other types of social activities. Examples include our People of Color group, our White Allies for Racial Equity group, our Alphabet Soup group, and some of our Chalice Circle groups. And the same is also being practiced more and more in our own and in other social justice movements. More and more, it is becoming clear that for such movements to be effective, for such for folks to have resilience and avoid burnout, opportunities for social connection, play, humor, and joy are absolutely essential. And, of course, we have a fellowship team that creates opportunities like that for the church as a whole. And another group has even started a game night here at the church. On top of that, all of next week, the church will be teaming with young witches and wizards in training at our annual Hogwarts Camp UU. Our halls will be filled with laughter, fun, play, and joy, while at the same time, much learning about our faith will be happening. Now, shh, don't tell them I told you this, but I think that our adult volunteers who make Hogwarts happen every year experience as much or maybe even more joy and fun than the children and youth that they're serving during that time. And all of this attention we're paying to fun and joy is for good reason. 
More and more, we are discovering that fun and joy are key contributors to our learning and our well-being. More and more, science is finding that joyfulness and joyful play stimulate neurological patterns and neurochemical transmitters that improve our ability to learn and our ability to retain information. Joy helps us lay down more complex and contextual memory and to retain such learnings and memories longer because they get associated with pleasure centers in the brain. As one researcher puts it, nothing lights up the brain like joy and fun. Games and play also teach social skills and allow us a more creative perspective on the subject matter involved. Now, this is partially why many educational programs in general have been moving away from the strictly transmission model of teaching to more generative and transformational models. Within Unitarian Universalism, there is even a model called spirit play, and in more Christian traditions, there's a model called God play. So to overgeneralize a little, folks are moving away from this, the banking model of education, where the teacher stands at the front of the classroom and deposits information into the passive minds of the students, to more like this, wherein learning occurs through a sense of joy, play, games, humor, fun activities, and social interconnectedness. Now, I think it's important to note that sometimes we think of joyful play as just sort of a rehearsal for skills that we'll need as adults. That's not the case. For instance, if you prevent a kitten from playing, when they become an adult cat, they will still know how to stalk, hunt, and kill prey. Humans, cats, and dogs instinctively know how to engage in play with each other simply for the joy of playing. And in fact, all mammal species have been observed to engage in play and to do so throughout their lifetime. The researcher I quoted earlier has found that play has a vital biological role just as sleep and dreaming do. So joy, play, fun, they seem to be beneficial to us, both psychologically and physically. And the opposite is also true. As adults, a lack of joyful play is often associated with depression. Children who are deprived of play often develop serious psychological issues as adults. This was found to be a factor with Charles Whitman, the UT tower sniper who killed 16 people and injured 31 others here in Austin back in 1996. 1966, not 96. Thank you. If you ever need correcting, just do it in front of Unitarian Universalists. Now, I would also propose that joy and play are vital to our spiritual development, that a lack of joy damages our very soul. And in fact, there is a theory that church, along with our associated rituals, is in truth deep play. It is helping us to understand deep and complex life issues in metaphorical ways, at least partially through the experience of spiritual ecstasy. You might call that joy or bliss. I want to share with you a story that I think illustrates both how we learn through our experiences of joy and how being open to joy is so very good for us. 
The guy in the video I'm about to show you is a farmer and goat rancher from upstate New York named Jay Lavery. The video has become known as the barn dance. Now, since our subject matter today is learning through joy, and one of the ways we experience joy is through dancing, I encourage you to dance along with the guy in the video if you're willing and able, or at least to groove in place if not. Up with it, girl. Rock with it, girl. Show them it, girl. With a bang, bang. Bunks with it, girl. Dance with it, girl. Get with it, girl. With a bang, bang. Come on, come on. Turn the radio on. It's Friday night and I won't be long. Gotta do my hair. Put my makeup on. It's Friday night and I won't be long. Till I hit the drum Hit the drum I got a little worried when he started the stripper moves there. <laughs> Actually, he keeps his remaining clothes on through the rest of that video. Mr. Lavery posted his video because, for his Facebook friends because he had been having lower back problems and he wanted them to know that he was doing okay. He says he never expected that his joyful video would go viral with over 7 million views in less than a year. Several years prior to making that video, Mr. Lavery had suffered a traumatic back injury that required several surgeries, including a disectomy and a spinal fusion. His dancing, along with practicing yoga and meditation, are how he overcomes the back pain he would otherwise experience and how he has remained pain medication-free for several years now. Now, there could be some physical aspects to this, but I have little doubt that his joyfulness in his dancing has helped him learn to move through the pain. As he puts it, he hopes his video inspires, quote, anyone to move in spite of pain, and I hope this puts a smile on your face. Avery even got to go on the Ellen DeGeneres show where he expressed his great amusement over many aspects of what he calls his 15 minutes of fame, including, including marriage proposals he has gotten from several women smitten by his silky moves. What they didn't realize, he says, is, I'm gay. So... If, as is apparent from Jay Lavery's story, joy is so good for us, 
If joy helps us learn more readily and joy helps us learn in more complex and complete ways, why don't we infuse more joy, fun, humor, and play into our educational institutions, our workplaces, indeed, our very lives? Why has that banking model of education persisted for so long, and why does it still continue to be the primary model throughout so much of our current educational system? Well, I'm not sure I know all the answers to those questions. I suspect, though, that it could have something to do with our Protestant work ethic and our, more broadly, our Puritan ancestry. Work, school, and church are not supposed to be fun says that Puritan voice in our heads. On a more individual level, I also think we may sometimes not allow ourselves to fully experience joy because of what social science researcher Brene Brown calls foreboding joy. Now, some of you have heard me talk about Dr. Brown's concept of foreboding joy before, so I thought this morning, let's just let her talk to you about it. You know what's tricky? But as someone who studies shame and scarcity and fear, Mm -hmm. I will tell you that if you ask me what's the most terrifying, difficult emotion that we experience as humans, I would say joy. You would say that the most terrifying is joy? No question. Why? You know, I I often ask parents, I say, uh, you know, I'll have 5,000 parents or something in an audience, and I'll say, raise your hand if you've ever stood over your child while he or she was sleeping and thought to yourself, I love you like I didn't know was possible. Yeah, yeah. And then in that split second, picture something horrific happened well, to you. What if something happened to you? Yes, yeah. How many of you have ever set up and said, wow, work's going good, good relationship with my partner? Yeah. Parents seem to be doing okay? Uh-huh. Holy crap. Something <laughs> What's going to happen? Yes. Right, so what is that? You know what that is? What is that? When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability. Lose our tolerance for vulnerability, yeah. Joy becomes foreboding. I'm not going to feel you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to soften into this moment of joy because Because I'm scared. I'm scared it's going to be taken away. The other shoe's going to drop. So say that again. When we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, you said in the book, but I didn't get it this deep. Go ahead. When we lose our tolerance to be vulnerable, joy becomes foreboding. And so what we do in moments of joyfulness is we try to beat vulnerability to the punch. Yesterday, I'm on the plane. I'm yeah. getting ready to leave. I'm taking pictures and tweeting them out. I'm on the cockpit, Super Soul Sunday, or over <laughs> a bus, baby. I'm taking pictures. The plane gets down the runway and has to come back because something's wrong. I was like, I knew it. I called Steve. I said, let me just tell you something. I know, because I'm fixing to meet Oprah, that I'm going to die. <laughs> at, at my funeral, yeah. you better say, she was going to be on Super Soul Sunday. Oh, my goodness. And she's like, foreboding joy, foreboding joy. Foreboding joy. Goddesses, aren't they? I think the message there is be more dog again. (laughs) So we don't get to experience true joy, the fullness of joy, without vulnerability. Joy requires a sense of belonging and connection, and we don't get those unless we risk being our authentic self. We don't get those unless we allow ourselves to experience the inevitable sorrow and loss that will come with living and loving fully. Joy joy requires us to have the courage to be vulnerable. 
One of the religious values we have defined for ourselves here at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin goes like this. Courage to live lives of honesty, vulnerability, and beauty. May we live that value together so that we may experience a full and vibrant joy together. And let's remember to dance, laugh, play, and have a little fun while we're at it, too. I want to leave you with the words of Steve Garnis Holmes, who's a Methodist minister and author. He comes out of the Christian perspective, so I invite you to translate with your own understanding of that which is ultimate as you listen to his words. They are titled simply, Joy. Who says God has to be so serious all the time? That God can't have some fun, go on a lark, crack a good one? Who says God can't evolve a platypus instead of a woodchuck? Or a flightless bird just as a joke? Or give you a gorgeous sunset just to see the expression on your face? Or invent laughter? Who says God's passion is reasonable and not unrestrained celebration. Jesus' first party, first miracle was a party trick, pure fun, wine from water, and really good stuff too, and at a wedding no less. It's a parable of covenant faithfulness and love and an ironic reverse foreshadowing of the Last Supper. It's a parable of abundance and beauty and mystery and needless splendor. It's about life and about blessing and about joy. Way too much and too good, way more and better than we need. Ridiculous, over-the-top joy. So raise a glass. Drink deep. And I say amen to that. Now please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Joy to the world, all the boys and girls. Joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea. Joy to you and me. Joy to the world. All the boys and girls. Joy to the fishes in the deep blue sea. Joy to you and me. Joy to you and me. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.